Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hey, and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I'm your host, Penny Lubinsky. Today, we have an awesome guest by the name of Camilla Jeffs. Camilla is the founder of Steady Stream Investments. She's got 18 years of real estate experience. Um, she's been busy in the single family rentals, small and large multifamily, and recently assisted living. Um, she specializes in teaching first-time investors about passive income and how to diversify their portfolio. So Camilla, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Penny. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, let's start by going through how you kind of got started in real estate. What did you do before? Um, just tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so I got started in real estate kind of because I had to, because I um, I had no money. And I know that sounds funny because uh, everybody thinks, oh, you have to have lots of money to be able to invest in real estate. But we really got started because we had no money. And um, the reason why is that we were living in, my husband and I were living in a garage apartment. Somebody had converted like an external garage into an apartment. Um, and because we were young newlyweds, we were still going to college and we were trying to make ends meet um, and do it debt-free. Like we were not gonna go into debt for college. So we're, you know, we're living here in this dump and um, our landlord would come over and, and to collect the rent. And when she arrived, I started talking to her one day and I just said, Hey, I know you have lots of rentals. I'm curious about how it all works. Like, how did you get them and what happened? And from that conversation, she says to me, she's like, Oh, well, you should buy a house. And I said, Oh, wait, wait, no, no, <laughs> we, we literally, we don't have any money. She said, well, no, listen to this. There's special first time home buyer programs that you can get. And you could buy a house that had a basement apartment or, or sometimes they call them mother-in-law apartments in our area um, that, and then you could rent that out. And uh, by renting it out, then you wouldn't have to pay very much to live there. And I thought, Hmm, that's kind of a brilliant idea. And so that's exactly what I did. Now, nowadays, the, the coin, uh, the term is uh, house hacking, right? Where you house, where you hack a house and you live in there. And what ended up happening is we bought a house with a basement apartment. It was a six bedroom home, it's a huge house, right? That, that my husband and I didn't need a huge house. Um, but a six bedroom home, three bedrooms in the basement and a kitchen in the basement as well. And we rented it out and we ended up paying $150 a month to live there. And the house had a pool in the backyard. Like, how cool is that? So here we are like, yeah, we have no money, <laughs> you know, and we invested in real estate and we're able to get in, you know, as owner occupants, you can get in for very low down and uh, really great interest rates. Um, and we lived there for 150 bucks a month. Um, and that got me really thinking about real estate. It's really understanding the power of real estate and how um, you could just utilize all these creative strategies. Like you don't have to follow 
the same mold where, you know, you just, you go to college, you get a job, then you buy a house and you just live in it yourself. And it, and it becomes a liability. You know, a house can actually become an asset. Even the one you're living in, you can figure out ways to make it an asset. Um, and so that was what uh, sparked my interest. And then I just started like devouring book after book after book about real estate and went to a couple of um, informational th- uh, you know, webinars. They felt a little sleazy to me, to be honest, okay. <laughs> all the real estate, real estate, um, you know, what were they education, you know, meetups or whatever. They felt a little bit sleazy at the time. Uh, because they were all, every single one of them was just trying to sell their really expensive program. Right. And I wasn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to sign up for a really expensive program because again, no money. Right. So then after that, the next strategies, what we did was um, we worked on, we did live in flips, which is where you buy a fixture upper. And again, you use owner occupied financing to have low money down and the best interest rates. And uh, you buy it, you move in and you fix it up yourself, or I guess, suppose you could hire it out, but we were kind of DIYers. And then you move out and you either rent it or sell it at that time. And that's how we acquired many properties over many years. Um, It's a slow way to invest, but you know, real estate doesn't have to be, it's not a get rich quick thing anyway, right? It's a slow and steady, and that's a perfect way for any, any family can follow that, that path. It's, it's really not that hard to do. Um, the only thing that's uncomfortable a little bit is living in a mess and moving every, you know, two years or so, <laughs> but so uh, we got used to it and, and we were fine. Well, fast forward 15 years and we had acquired a lot of properties and we were at the point where, um, well, and we had five babies by then we had had five kids. And so I, I, I was just feeling the burnout. I was just kind of this the burnt out landlord, because again, we're doing everything ourselves. We were mowing the lawn we were going, dragging the kids over to turn the units and clean them and paint them. And, you know, and, uh, you know, the kids, it's not like they hated it. They actually loved it because they were little. They're like, Ooh, we get to paint, you know, kids love to paint, even though they make, they make a big mess, but it's still fun. Um, so we hit a point where um, we kind of hit a point where we were burned out, but also are maxed out in our money. And we didn't want to follow the, the whole move in, you know, model anymore where we had to move so many times because we had, we had a big family by then and it just it doesn't work as well um, as, as it did before. And so then I started thinking, well, how can we scale? What can we do? And I had always wanted to buy an apartment complex and apartment complexes were cost millions of dollars. Like I'd never bought any real estate that was over half a million dollars, right? Like everything we had purchased was under half a million. And so I'm like, "Mm, okay, how do you buy an apartment complex? It costs millions of dollars. I do not have millions of dollars in my bank account. I don't get it. And so I started researching and realized, oh, actually you don't buy them by yourself. You buy them with a team. And that's when I realized, okay, now I have to work on some mindset shifts here because I had always been a DIY person and and wanted to control everything. And now I've got to shift my mindset to allow partners to take on some of the work and to, and to do some of it and be okay with that. 
Um, and that's what I did really. And I, uh, we, we started out investing in apartments as a passive investor first by, and as a passive investor, it's really easy to invest in apartments. You can join a group of, a group of, of, of people and you just put in your money and a whole bunch of people just put money in. And then only a few people have to do the work and manage it and stuff. And, and I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. And this, the dumb thing was that I was getting very similar returns to all of the work I was doing in single family houses. And I was like, what really, it's really that easy. I could just, you know, invest my money. Um, and that's what I launched a steady stream investment. So I thought, you know, more people need to know about this. More people are burned out landlords out there that are just like, there's gotta be a better way. This is just too much, or maybe they're ready to retire. I talked to a really great um, couple yesterday who are looking to invest passively and they are retiring. They're like, okay, we had these eight homes that we've been managing our whole lives. They, and now we're going to sell them, but we want to continue to invest in real estate, but we don't want to do any of the work. Right. So that's, um, that's been super powerful. And and so that's what I do now is I educate passive investors about how to invest in groups and group investing in apartments. Um, and then I go out and I find really great deals for them to invest in. And then we all share in the returns. Wow. Okay. That's great. And I want to just like rewind a little bit and go back to, you know, some of the gold that you just shared. Um, and I'd, I'd like to start with the house hacking. And I think that's a phenomenal idea. And, and it's, it's, what's interesting is that most people are just not aware um, that it can be that easy to get into real estate. Um, I think, you know, just from speaking to so many people, it's so many people's first deal. Um, it's less daunting. It's less scary, you know, than other kind of deals because you kind of understand the concept already. It's like, it's just a house really, right? Like anyone, almost anyone can go and buy a house. Yeah. Even if let's say like a situation like yours where you didn't have much money, but once you understood the concept behind it and how this could end up being a good deal for you, like you can go, go out and buy a house and that could be your first real estate deal. And you get experience and practice with dealing with tenants. So I really love that idea. And like, it's strict right away. And then you went through with the live and flips and it just seems like you, you um, made like um, you made a career out of doing like non-conventional real estate transactions in order to, you know, get them done. And I, I just think that's like really cool and really creative to be able to get these kind of deals done, even if you didn't have a lot of money to get started. And this is probably like the biggest thing that I just want to take away from this, from your story. It's, you know, so many people use that as a fantastic excuse um, to not being able to or not want to get started in real estate. It's like, I don't have money. Like real estate is meant for wealthy people. It's not meant for people like me. And the truth is, look at your story. And there's so many people like you. And there's so many creative strategies to use to get into real estate, um, even if you don't have a lot of money. And once you can start like kind of like you did later in your career, um, leveraging other people's capital, it becomes a true win-win for everyone involved. And then you can really start scaling up. And I, I also want to just touch on that, that I love what you did with the, you know, passive investing first in multifamily deals. And that kind of gave you the experience and the knowledge and the proof of concept to be able to then talk to investors and explain to them, you know, that this really could be a great win-win and a great opportunity for them. And what's interesting is like, I recently had a conversation with a potential investor about, you know, passive investing. He's busy he's got a full-time job he makes you know good he, he, he makes a lot of money and like but he just doesn't have time to get involved in real estate and once i was explaining um kind of like the returns that multifamily investment could you know could produce he his reaction was like wow like what's the catch here because 
you know, at the end of the day, like I could invest in these deals, make great cash flow, right? Better than, and, and more, more predictable and more reliable than almost any other kind of asset and not even have to do anything. Like it almost just sounded like too good to be true. And I'm like, no, like that's literally it. And then it, and then what, after that, I was thinking, you know, it's just kind of like my job and, you know, I guess someone like you and, and me, it's our job to just help educate people that this avenue is available. A lot of people, unfortunately, just literally don't even know about it. Like they know about the stock market, they know about the S&P 500, they know about mutual funds. Um, and then they just know of like real estate as like this foreign concept where like some people do real estate and, you know, make money and, 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 and that's it. But they don't really know like how they can start leveraging that and really start like, you know, <clears throat> and start taking advantage of, of really great returns. So I just like wanted to point that out. Like that's literally like what you're doing. Like that's your job, I guess, is to help educate people. And that's, it's really amazing because like the more people you tell about it, the more people you can help invest, the more people can really achieve financial freedom, which is, I think, everyone's main goal at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, and I call it financial stability too, right? right? right. Because, you know, you, you, sometimes you hit a point in life where it, you just, I mean, we went through some really rough times financially. I mean, there were, there were, there was a moment where we had to, you know, call up my husband's parents and say, hey, we're out of money. We, can you give us, you know, we need $500 just to make right. it this wow. month. Right. I know that feeling. I know that feeling of being completely broke. I don't ever want to be there again. Right. And so after having, after going through that experience, it's been, uh, uh this, this, um, drive, right. To be able to be financially stable. So to be self-sufficient, right. To not have to rely on a job, right. Or a W2. And, and, you know, and I, I recently left my W2 a couple months ago also to be full-time in, in real estate. And my W2 was in HR. So in HR, I can't tell you how many times I pulled people into my office and let them know that their job was no more, right? Grown men crying in my office because they had nothing else. They have no other way to provide income for their family. And I just have to look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, right? I'm really sorry. Um, it's, it's rough. It is rough and risky to rely on one stream of income in our environment. You know, my parents, they could, they could rely on that one stream of income and they were fine. Um, right now, this, this day and age, no, it's, it's, it's not okay. Right. And, and, you know, so many people look at a job as like stability and they, they think of like, oh, I have like my secure nine to five. Like, why would I go and, and take chances and start getting involved in real estate when, in reality, I think it's literally the opposite way around. Like if you have a job, especially especially in today's market, and we've seen it with COVID, like so many people getting laid off and very qualified people, really people that have been in, you know, working that same job for 10, 20, 30 years have been getting laid off and they're, they're not really necessarily trained or prepared for anything else. Like, what are you going to do now? Um, and, you know, real estate, I mean, like it kind of allows you to be a your own boss like no one's firing you right if you if you're if you're the boss you get your i mean you can fire yourself but no one's gonna fire you and then it just gives you that like stability like you can just keep acquiring properties building cash flow and you're building your own future you're putting your future in your hands and obviously you know you got to make good moves and you got to buy good deals and be careful do your due diligence but assuming you do and you're in good markets doing good deals and good markets with good good, you know, team members, then you'll be fine. And you'll be in a much more secure yeah. position than the nine to five employee. Um, I just want to touch on one more thing. So we're talking about how, you know, there's that 
the rumor out there that you can't get involved if you don't have money. There's another one that a lot of that holds a lot of people back from getting started. And I know you've talked about this a bit. It's um, <clears throat> not being able to get started because you're not a people's person or you're not an extrovert, right? And we know <laughs> real estate is so heavily reliant on building out your team and your network. Um, I was just wondering, like, how did you like, how did you do that? And like, what do you kind of feel about this concept? Yeah. So I'm actually an introvert and I'm on Instagram as the introverted investor. And what's an introvert? Well, you know, what's my definition of an introvert? Well, an introvert is someone who generates energy from being by themselves, right? And, and they, their energy is depleted being with a lot of people. Um, so it's not, we don't like people and we don't like to talk to people, right? We just really enjoy one-on-one conversation. So this conversation right here, I'm completely comfortable, even though it's being recorded and on film, you know, I have no problem with that. Uh, but um, yeah, so as an as an introvert, I think it's it's a it was a myth and it was a blocker for me as well as I started because remember the first fifteen years of my journey was DIY was literally doing it alone, right, with just my husband and my children, and um, and so that mindset shift of okay, I have to partner now well, how do I partner with people and how do I, you know, how do I kind of expand my comfort zone to be okay to, to partner with people? Um, and so, you know, it did require me to go out of my comfort zone and like go to meetups. I mean, how do you, how do you get, how do you meet partners? Well, you have to, you have to go to a meetup. Um, and so I tried to go to the meetups that weren't too big. I, you know, I, I set goals for myself and said, okay, if I, I'm going to this meetup, you know, it, cause it takes a, takes a lot of energy to walk in and not just walk right back out. <laughs> and there's like hundreds right. of people that are talking and it's just very loud, um, and, and very intimidating, especially for introverted folks. So I did two things. I had two, two strategies I'll share. So if you, if you are an introvert as well, but you know, you need a partner to be able to get more bigger deals and do bigger things. So one strategy is when you walk into that room at that networking event, look for someone who's sitting alone, who's standing alone. Chances are that person is an introvert as well and go over there and talk to that person, right? You don't have to join the big groups. You don't have to like hover awkwardly on the side and hoping to like say something. <laughs> you, know, right. you can just, just find someone who is already, who is also alone and go talk to them. And that, that actually, I did that at one of the first big multifamily meetups that I went to. And that woman has become a partner of mine and a dear friend of mine and, and is working with me on, on deals. Um, number two strategy is set a goal for yourself of how many people to talk to, right? So you have to sit for me, it was three. So I said, okay, I'm going to this meetup. I have to talk to three new people and then I can give myself permission to leave if I'm still feeling uncomfortable. Right. And so I at least could go in and accomplish the goal of get, get three people's contact information. Then I could leave. And then I could, you know, reach out to them later from the safety of my computer. Right. Um, and, and do it like that. And that's really how I started meeting people and being able to partner and to, and to really grow, my business. Um, and, and because it is, it is very relationship based. And as introverts, we like to have deep relationships with a few people, not shallow relationships with many, many people. And that's actually perfect for partnering. 
Right. And I was going to say that's actually probably perfect for events and meetups too, because like at the end of the day, you're not looking to get a hundred people's business cards. You're looking to connect on a deeper level with maybe two or three people. And I would consider that a huge success. So technically speaking, like your so-called weakness may end up being a strength in terms of actual conferences and like meetups. And then also I would just venture to say like, I don't know, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. I would say that after you did um, have some good conversations with two or three people, um, you probably felt a lot more comfortable at that point and you probably ended up sticking around more times than not just because I don't know I, I still till today never figured out if I'm an introvert or an extrovert I think I may be just like <laughs> smack in the middle but I Hybrid. feel like whenever yes exactly but I feel like whenever I do whenever I do feel a little bit like uncomfortable in a crowd um, and I, then I do choose to stick around usually after a couple of conversations um, I am like a lot more comfortable and I'm ready and like capable yeah. and like interested in like engaging in more conversations. So like, I feel like that's like another thing. Like if you just like go there, start having conversations, like you could end up having a great time and connecting with a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of introverts, I just want to point out that passive investing is actually the perfect avenue for an introvert. Exactly. Because the other thing that introverts love is we love diving into the details. We love understanding things and, you know, and researching, like I could research all day on the little top. I was researching right. tennis shoes the other day for hours. I'm like, whoa, okay, Camilla, you've spent way too much time on this. <laughs> right. um, but as a passive investor, you know, an, an introverted passive investor, you don't have to be the one out calling all the brokers and taking them to lunch and to, you know, to get the best deals. You don't have to be the one that's getting the loan and talking to lenders and having and doing cold calls with, with other investors, right? Literally, you just can get the information. You can analyze it. You can spend your time analyzing it. And then you invest your money and you, you're not doing any of the work. You don't have to like ever leave your home. It's like a perfect investment way to invest if you are an introvert and, um, and I, I love it. Right. No, that's a great point. And then my question to you is um, you being an introvert and then getting, getting started with like multifamily and assisted living, what kind of role do you play on, on the teams like that you're, you know, doing these deals with? Like, are you the asset manager more of, or maybe the underwriter? I'm just trying to think what's more of like an introverted kind of job on the team. I know. Well, actually, my my main job is is to bring capital. Um, so I bring capital, and that's then I do asset management. Right? I know. Right. And a lot of people say that's surprising as an as an introvert, but really, you know, I'm a teacher at heart, and I just love teaching other people about investing passively in real estate. So yeah, I think my style is very different from an extroverted capital raiser um, because I just focus on education. I'm, I'm not out there like, you know, tooting my own horn and things like I, like my full focus is just on, okay, who are you? How do I help you? And it's really just a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations, which is something that I thrive on, right? It's just having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and getting to know them and their goals and trying to understand how to help them get to where they want to be. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, probably very different than, than most capital raisers out there. Right. No, that's a good point. And you're not like getting out there on like Facebook lives or anything like that. And just like screaming out like, oh, look at me. And this is how I do things. And I think you don't need to do that. You actually don't need to. Like you're saying, like you can be very, very effective with the one on one conversations, which is actually something that you're very comfortable with and excel at. And this way you can be able to help educate your investors one at a time and, you know, help, help, you know, 
just help them decide, you know, whether this is a good opportunity for them or not. So yeah, I kind of, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Um, I'd like to dive into another question here. Are you generally, you and your team, are you guys self-managing your properties or are you guys hiring out third party? Because I know in the beginning of your career kind of sounded like you did yeah. everything yourself. Um, but now that you've moved on to like bigger assets with like bigger teams, <clears throat> is that something that you're outsourcing or kind of still like holding on to? Yeah, I, I mean, you you nailed it in the beginning, you know, the DIY part of me, I even launched my own property management company to manage all of my properties in the in the beginning. But now that we're doing large multifamily, we definitely hire professional property managers. And you know, what? it's such a relief. It is such a relief to let them handle all the tenant problems and the issues that come up and, uh, you know, the day to day, like, I don't have to take the calls about leaky toilets, and I don't have to worry about about people not paying. It's the professionals who are managing that and they have, they have way better systems and processes than I ever had in my, my little property management company. So I love outsourcing that for sure. Right. Okay. And then my follow-up question would be, um, so obviously like you're going to try to find like, you know, someone that's very well established in your market and someone that has a great track record, but how would that hiring process you know, what would that kind of look like? And what are some of like the questions that, that maybe some of the listeners can, um, you know, kind of take with them and, and, and use while they're interviewing a, pro a potential property manager for their asset? Yeah. So, so property managers, one of the things that you want to talk to them about is, well, a communication, right? Communication can solve so many problems as long as there's really great communication going on. And so, kind of talking to them about, you know, their cadence. So what I want to understand is not only the way they communicate with me as the owner, I want to understand how they're communicating to the residents of the, of their, the properties. I want to understand how they think about the residents. Do they think of them as customers or do they think of them as, oh, those people who haven't paid yet and, and we're angry at them or whatever. Right. So really what level, what's the level of, of treatment. Um, so, and and you find a property manager who has really great systems and processes and reporting and who is on top of things, that's what you want to look for. Um, so you want to kind of ask them what their, what their process is for when a tenant doesn't pay, right? If someone didn't pay their rent, what are they going to do? Right. And, and so you're looking and you're looking for people who are going to be very proactive for property management companies are going to be proactive. They'll be like, okay, well, you know, rent is due on the first, if it's not paid by the fifth and there's a late fee. So immediately assess a late fee. Okay. But what do you do to communicate to the residents? Well, we, you know, immediately we contact them and say, Hey, your rent is, your rent is due. So basically staying on top of them so they can make sure that they collect all the rent. Cause that's one of the issues that, um, a lot of property managers have, and we as, as apartment owners have, is at the end of the month, did we collect all the rent that was due? Like who's behind and why are they behind and, and what's going on? And, you know, we've, I've been able to find some really fantastic property managers that just stay on top of that. Um, because, you know, if you, if the money's not coming in, then you're not going to have a very good business, right? Your business is going to take. So you got to make sure that the, that the money comes in. And then the other thing I always like to, to do is just, are they, are they treating the residents? Well, that's really important for me in my business. And that, that, um, that we treat people well, because it's their home, right? It's their, it's where they make memories. It's 
it's where they open Christmas gifts. It's, it's, it's where they have their children and, and things like that. And so we want to make sure that we are treating everyone very well. Right. Question on that though. Like how would you find out if your property management is treating tenants well, because they're the ones kind of dealing with the tenants. Right. And then you're kind of asset managing the property manager. So how would you like, how would you find out if there's tenant complaints or stuff like that? Yeah. So you can do some due diligence on that. You can, I mean, you can look up every apartment complex has a place for people to, to review, right? Like, like Amazon reviews, there's apartment reviews and you can go in and you can see what tenants are saying about the, the place itself. And that's typically a reflection of management. Um, Also, you can, you can ask the property management if they do any kind of like community events, you know, so we have our property managers will hold a Halloween event for the kids. They'll hold a Thanksgiving thing. They'll do something for Christmas, like for the holidays. And, and, and are they creating actual community or are they just hiding behind their door and, and, you know, not really interacting. And then the other thing you do is you go to the property and you walk around and try to talk to residents as, as you're, as you're there and, and just say, Hey, how do you like living here? You know, do you like this? You can like pretend that you're thinking about living there yourself, you know, like you don't, you don't have to say, Hey, I'm thinking about buying this place. Right. Cause then they'll they'll automatically be like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to talk to you, but, right. but you you're going to come and raise my rents and <laughs> yeah, right. They're going to be suspicious right. of you. <laughs> um, but if you just pose as a, as a, you know, potential neighbor, you know, then they'll typically open up and, and let you know what's going on. Right. Okay. I love that. Excellent. Um, let's pivot and go into the final four here. Um, what is your why? Um, so one of my big whys has to do with my children. And, um, one of the things that I think as a parent, you always look at your children and you want them to follow their dreams, right? You want them to achieve the impossible. You, you're like, yes, go, you know, do your thing and and do it. But one of the things that I realized is that if they don't have an example of someone doing that, how do they know they can achieve really big things. So one of my whys is to achieve big goals and, and show my kids the actual path, right? Cause it's messy. It's not this beautiful path that we walk on that sunshine and flowers all the time and to show them, you know, what it, what it looks like to really go after some big dreams and big goals and to involve them every step of the way. That's I- my why. You know, I love that. And it's also, I feel like a great lesson because, because real estate is not a get rich quick thing and your kids have kind of been involved, as you mentioned earlier from the beginning and they came and they helped, you know, they watched you guys paint them, lay tiles or whatever it is. Like they've seen the process. They're, they're getting a little bit of a taste of what entrepreneurship is like and what building a business is like. And it's just a little bit of like a, of a taste of like reality. Like this is, you know, how you build your dreams. It's not necessarily going to happen overnight, but if you stick, you know, true to the process and you stay consistent with it, good things will happen. And I think that's, that's just a fantastic, a great lesson for, for your children and, you know, for anyone that's raising kids. Um, All right. Um, What is your favorite book? My favorite book. um, I read a lot of books, but the one that always sticks out to me is probably the one that, that, started me 
um, thinking about personal growth, right? And it was way back when I was a teenager, when I was 16, and I read this book, and it's kind of a silly book, but it's called Kissing a Frog. And then the subtitle is Finding Comfort Outside Your Comfort Zone. And the book was a um, an eye opener for me as a as a young sixteen year old that about how to stretch and grow and learn and develop and it really set me on this path because I think sometimes I get asked what's your superpower and I, and I feel like my superpower is living just barely outside my comfort zone at all times I right I, I don't go leaps and bounds outside of it I live outside of it just barely at all times and you know what it grows and then I live outside of it again and it grows and, and, you know, things like that. And so that book really put me on this path to becoming where I am today. Right. And, and, and to what you just mentioned with um, being just outside your comfort zone, like sometimes people set goals that are just like way out of reach and then they're just like hard to attain. And then it gets like frustrating when you never achieve them. Like I heard on the radio the other day, and I don't remember exact dates, but they were saying something like 90 I think 95% of New Year's resolutions were broken by January, like 15th, you know, like, <laughs> yes, so just give it a couple of weeks into the new year and most people are gone. Like their diets are done their you know, their new <laughs> job or their new business that they were about to start is, is down the drain. And like the reason was they, they did a study in the college. And the reason was because the goals were just too big. They were not attainable. They were never able to achieve them. So I like that idea. I mean, you kind of have to balance this with like the 10 X idea of, like wanting to accomplish and achieve more. But I do, I definitely feel like um, picking something that will keep you just out of your comfort zone is, is just a really yeah. good place to be for, for personal growth. Well, it's like they set a marathon goal and then they try to sprint it, you know, because they right. want it now, right. you know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Let me just finish this thing. Let me just like conquer the world yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, what is the best advice that you would give somebody just looking to get started in real estate? Okay. So, so my best advice is stop making excuses, right? You can come up with any excuse. And we, I think we talked about this you know, yeah. with, my, with my journey. I was like, wait, I don't have any money. I can't invest in real estate. Oh yes, you can. You for sure can invest in real estate. You can, you just got to figure out the right way to do it. And, you know, and, and we had to come up with a little bit of money in order to buy that house for sure. It wasn't like a zero money down type situation, but don't think that you, that, that you can't do it and you can't do it. Um, I mean, another myth I think that people get into is once you start studying real estate, you learn that off market deals are like the Holy grail, you know, the gold right. of real estate you can start with bronze, right? You can start with on market deals. Almost every one of my live-in flips was an on market deal. You don't have to go crazy and do mailers. And like, I think people just get overwhelmed thinking that they have to do all these crazy things to get the best deals. Start with a good deal, right? Start with a decent deal. Start with a Maybe it won't work out deal. Totally right. fine. But you just got to start. You have to start or you'll, or you'll never learn. And, right. uh, and that's my advice. Right. Just go hit a base hit. You don't need to hit a home run on the first deal. Right. right? Unless right. you're, unless you're, unless you don't have money and you're an introvert, then just sleep late and drink beer all day because you have no chance of succeeding. Right. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding, obviously. <laughs> um, all right. What is your favorite hobby? 
my favorite hobby. Um, so I, I really love sports, like playing sports of, of any kind. And, um, I'm starting to get into tennis right now. I love that a lot. I, I was a big soccer player growing up and played racquetball in college. And so, you know, I just, I just love the, the feeling of being outside in using my body in, and, and being competitive. I, I love that. It, it gives me a really great boost. All right. That's awesome. And then where can people reach you? Uh, you can find me uh, like the easiest way is just go to my website, camillajeffs.com. That's pretty simple. You can follow me on Instagram at the introverted investor, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's kind of one of my favorite platforms. Um, or I'm on Facebook too. Okay. You heard it folks. Well, thank you very much, Camilla, for joining the show. And this was a really great conversation and you really shared a lot of value. So once again, thanks for joining and wishing you lots of continued success. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast with Penny Lubinsky. For more free, valuable content, visit plcapitalventures.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review and rating on iTunes and subscribe to our channel. This helps the podcast grow and get noticed. See you next time.